0: We're studying the book of Proverbs this summer and into the fall, seeking to learn wisdom from it, but I want to start this morning with an insight from the book of James. And James is sort of a New Testament equivalent of the book of Proverbs. It covers a lot of the same territory and seeks to learn wisdom as well. Uh, But at one point in James, he distinguishes between two different types of wisdom. There's a wisdom that comes from above, that's heavenly wisdom, that's that's pure, that's true wisdom. But he says there's also such a thing as earthly wisdom. There's earthly wisdom, which is unspiritual, and is characterized by things like uh, pride and selfish ambition and jealousy, uh, which means that that wisdom, and we've been saying this all along, that wisdom is more than just sort of an intellectual endeavor. Uh, It's more than just being able to solve a riddle or untie a tricky knot, that that wisdom has a moral component to it as well. and So we could say if you've been seeking wisdom, and you think you're getting wise, but you're actually becoming more proud, more jealous, more filled with selfish ambition, uh, then James would say, you're going down the wrong path, you're not learning the heavenly kind of wisdom at all, you're simply increasing in earthly wisdom. Uh, Heavenly wisdom, he says, is characterized by humility and by gentleness, and it's known by the fruits that it bears. And so it's possible that you think you're becoming wise, uh, but you're actually learning the wrong kind of wisdom. When we get into Proverbs chapter 30, which is what we're looking at today, there's a similar sort of test here. It's it's getting towards the end of the book, of course. There's 31 chapters. This is chapter 30 we're looking at today. Uh, and, And it sort of gives us a test to see if we're growing in the right kind of wisdom or the wrong kind of wisdom. And the main test he's going to give us is to ask, how are we doing in growing in humility? Because true wisdom, if we're learning as we should, if we're walking in the fear of the Lord, learning gospel wisdom, that is going to help us to grow in humility. True heavenly wisdom, again, is more than an intellectual endeavor. It's more than just becoming sort of like Yoda and knowing all the riddles of the universe. But true heavenly wisdom humbles the proud, it gives rest to the weary, it it invites us to come and and to find rest in Jesus, to walk by his side, and to to walk by faith in the love of God for us. And so I'm going to read these verses, Uh, it's a selection that comes from Proverbs chapter 30, it's a little more sequential today, I'm going to read Proverbs chapter 30, uh, verses 1 through 9, and then also verses 32 and 33 there at the end. Uh, we're going to spend the majority of our time in verses 1 through 4 and the last two, 32 and 33, but I'm going to read this whole section for us. And as is our custom, if you're able, would you please join me in standing for the reading of God's holy word today. This comes from Proverbs chapter 30, starting in verse 1. The words of Agur, son of Jaca, the oracle, the man declares, "'I am weary, O God,' I am weary, O God, and worn out. Surely I am too stupid to be a man. I have not the understanding of a man. I have not learned wisdom, nor have I knowledge of the Holy One. Who has ascended to heaven and come down? Who has gathered the wind in his fists? Who has wrapped up the waters in a garment? Who has established all the ends of the earth? What is his name, and what is his son's name? Surely you know. Every word of God proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. Do not add to his words, lest he rebuke you, and you be found a liar. Two things I ask of you, deny them not to me before I die. Remove far from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. In verse 32, if you have been foolish, exalting yourself, or if you have been devising evil, put your hand on your mouth. For pressing milk produces curds, pressing the nose produces blood, and pressing anger produces strife. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful today for your word, we're thankful for the book of Proverbs, we're thankful for these lessons in wisdom that are meant to open our eyes to help us to see clearly and to lead us to our Savior, Jesus Christ. We pray that you'll do that, that you'll accomplish your purposes uh, and your will through your word by the power of your spirit in the lives of your people. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. There was a TV show, a sitcom of sorts, that was on the BBC in the 90s called Keeping Up Appearances. Perhaps some of you remember it, maybe. It was a show about a lower middle class woman named Hyacinth Bucket, or as she insisted her last name was pronounced, Hyacinth Bouquet. But Hyacinth was just a really a, a very average woman, kind of lower, middle class, very ordinary but she was constantly trying to demonstrate to everyone around here how dignified and sophisticated and refined she actually was. She was constantly trying to prove to others that she actually was, was a higher social standing than, than she actually thought she was, to prove her social superiority, to gain standing in the eyes of her neighbors. She was constantly trying to appear more refined than she really was. It was one of BBC's most popular shows, no doubt in part because it was actually pretty funny. Uh, it was fun to laugh at the antics of Hyacinth, but also perhaps it was popular because so many people were able to sympathize with Hyacinth and her desire to be seen as more than she was. Perhaps we can relate to that desire, that, that felt need to keep up appearances among other people. Perhaps we can relate to that desire to have people believe that we are more than we are, that we are more popular than we are, that we're more successful than we really are, that we're smarter, wiser, richer, happier, fill in the blank, than we really are. Maybe even spiritually, perhaps especially spiritually, as Christians we want to keep up appearances, we want people to think that we're holier than we are. We want people to think that we're wiser, we're more mature than we are, godlier than we are, more theologically astute than we really are. Again, fill in the blank. Don't we often fear how humbling? Or perhaps even humiliating it would be if if people, the people around us, our neighbors, our coworkers, even the people in our church, knew us for who we really are. If they had an accurate knowledge, an accurate assessment of who we really are. So what do we do? We work hard to keep up appearances. And it can be exhausting. Even our theology is is no comfort for us at times because we have to admit we haven't yet learned that, that true wisdom is that wisdom that brings us to Jesus provides perfect rest, it allows for perfect humility, it allows for perfect freedom. And so we have to admit that like Agur, here in Proverbs chapter 30, we are worn out, we are weary, weary, O God, and worn out. What do we need? We need actual heavenly wisdom, we need gospel wisdom, we need the true wisdom that comes down from above. Right? We need a lesson in, in humility and in the fear of the Lord, in this freedom that brings us to Jesus. And that's exactly what we get in these verses, especially in verse 4, but we're going to look at some of these other verses as well and, and see three things. Well, we're going to take it in three parts anyway. First, there is the question of humility. Second, the classroom of humility. And third, the source of humility. The, the question, the classroom, and the source of of humility here in Proverbs chapter 30. And I want to start with the the last verses we read, verses 32 and 33 in this chapter, is the question of humility. Here's agar, and that's how I'm going to say it. I don't know if that's the right Hebrew pronunciation, but I'm just going to say agar. I know it's an ugly name. Uh, And he's this wise man who we don't know anything else about. He doesn't appear anywhere else in the Bible, but he wrote this chapter of wisdom, and it gets included at the end of Proverbs And here, Agar, who's teaching us this wisdom, he wraps up his chapter with this one closing exhortation in verse 32. If you have been foolish, exalting yourself, put your hand over your mouth. Here's his final exhortation, and it's actually fairly profound. He says, we've come all this way through Proverbs. We've been seeking to learn wisdom, uh, to know what it is to walk in the fear of the Lord, And here's a final checkpoint, right, where you can evaluate how you have been doing. Have you made progress or have you not? And it's a question of humility, right? The question is not, can you now pass the Proverbs final exam on wisdom? You know, do you have wisdom? Do you know what to do in all these different scenarios? He he gives one final test, and that is, if you have been foolish, exalting yourself, right? That's what it is to be foolish. Being foolish doesn't mean you're somehow less intellectually capable and unable to to, to function. Foolishness means you're exalting yourself. That's what it is to be a fool, to be caught up in your own pride, which is why wisdom, as we've seen all throughout Proverbs, continues to be this moral category, and it's just what James has said to us, that there's two kinds of wisdom. There's the heavenly wisdom and there's the earthly wisdom, And one of the best ways to know which track you're on is to to look at your pride and your humility. If you've made it all this far through the book of Proverbs and you've sought to internalize all this wisdom, you've learned all of these Proverbs, you're tracking with Solomon this whole way, but you notice that along that path you've actually been growing in pride. And you get to the end and, well, goodness, now you're looking down your nose at all those poor fools who have not learned wisdom like you have right you are you are the wise you are the sage if if it's exalted you if it's puffed you up that's not that's not godly wisdom at all that's earthly wisdom the wisdom that comes from above James says is, is pure it's peaceable it's gentle it's open to reason it's full of mercy and good fruits and the person who truly grows in wisdom is actually growing in humility growing in humility and that's what agar says in this verse that pride is the ultimate form of folly right there there, there's the 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 wise man is the person who sees those tendencies and we all have those tendencies to exalt ourselves but the wise man is the man who sees that and he puts his hand over his mouth and he, he actively is going to take those steps to humble himself he doesn't that that inner pride. He doesn't nurture that. He doesn't cause that to grow. He he stops it. He checks himself. He refrains from it and restrains himself. So that's where this chapter goes. It's all about this final check at the end of Proverbs. Are we growing in humility or are we not? That's the question. And he takes us now to the classroom of humility. The classroom of humility back in verse 4. See, verse 4 is this great this great section it's f- these rhetorical questions that are all designed with a very particular purpose in mind four questions with a re- very particular purpose in mind and this verse with these rhetorical questions is sort of meant to be a uh, just an introductory entry level class right wisdom 101 growing in humility before the sovereignty of God and it's just for th- th- these uh, four or five questions that he poses. Now, if you want to take the entire graduate-level seminar on humility before the sovereignty of God, you can turn to to Job chapter 38 through 42. There, God asks not four or five questions. He asks 62 questions to Job. Very similar questions interspersed with all of his commentary. But the goal in those classes is the same, whether it's for Job, whether it's for Agar, or whether it's for us. The goal is for us to be brought face to face with the sovereignty and the providence and the wisdom and the power of the God who holds our hands and to know who he is so that we, who oftentimes, like Agur, are weary, worn out, exhausted, frustrated, vexed, over all the ways of this world, over, over what life is like in this sad world, so that we might come face-to-face with God and be encouraged, that we might find peace, that we might be renewed in our faith. Do you remember if we, we said earlier, um, you know, Proverbs is this class in wisdom, and one of the, the very first rules on the first page of the syllabus is Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Right? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he makes your path straight. And we said how interesting that is. Here is an entire book devoted to wisdom, devoted to understanding. And one of the very first rules is don't trust your own understanding. Right? Trust in the Lord. Do not lean on your own understanding. And we think, well, I thought Proverbs was trying to increase our understanding so it would be useful to us. Yes. And it's useful in teaching us not to lean on it. Right? To, to bringing us back to God, to say, trust, walk by faith. And so here's the fundamental lesson, and it, and it comes out in this verse with these rhetorical questions that he's going to ask. The curriculum here is time spent asking these questions, pondering the natural world, the mysteries of creation that he points us to with these rhetorical questions in verse 4. So again, Remember, Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, there is a type of knowledge that puffs a person up with pride. Right? There's a type of knowledge that simply puffs a person up with pride. Most of us know what that's like. Right? We learn a few things about any given subject. Maybe we just get a, a little introduction, and we become so proud of what we know. Right? A little knowledge is such a dangerous thing for us. We may still be beginners, but mm, goodness, we conceive of ourselves as being the expert. Uh, Perhaps we go online and share our expertise with others who need to hear it. Uh, You know, we have it all figured out. We're someone who has knowledge, someone who has experience. Knowledge can just puff us up sometimes. And it's just as true with theological knowledge, spiritual knowledge, Bible knowledge. Uh, you know, it ought to humble us, but we know the reality that it can do the opposite instead. It can puff us up. We can become proud of our theological knowledge, proud that we've studied the Bible. Studying Proverbs can make us proud that we've learned wisdom. Right? We've really dedicated ourselves to this difficult book and we've, we've set ourselves to the task. We've learned wisdom. We've done the work. We've done our homework. We're not fools anymore like those poor saps around us. But again, Jesus called out the Pharisees how many times for their spiritual pride? How many times because they love to be respected? They love to be called teacher. They love for people to look up to them. What Agur is doing with these questions in verse 4 is he's setting out to burst that bubble, to burst that pride that's puffing up, and he's going to burst it all all completely down, and he does it with these questions that he asks. Look at the questions in verse 4. Lesson number one: who has ascended to heaven and come down? I' meant to answer, of course, that it's only God, only God who has created the heavens and the Earth. Only God is the one who moves between heaven and Earth. We ourselves are small, we're limited, we're finite. Uh, we, we are of the dust. We have no ability to move between heaven and Earth of our own power. We're merely creatures. We live here on the Earth for a short time, and then we die, and then we're forgotten. Who are we? We're not even the masters of time and space, we're limited. We can't control our own destiny like we like to fancy that we can. Who has ascended to heaven and earth? Lesson number two, who's gathered the wind in his fists? Again, we're meant to answer, only God is the one who can rule over creation as the the one who spoke it into existence by the word of his power, the one who sustains it, who who maintains it, day in and day out, watching carefully over it, caring for all that he has made. Now, most of you, perhaps many of you, know how much I enjoy being out in nature, Uh, hiking, camping, being out on the ocean, uh, exploring all sorts of things, looking at birds, other wildlife. You know how much I enjoy that. one of my favorite things, uh, and one of the things I love most about that is is simply the sense of perspective, that being in nature brings to life. And I know how easy it is to, uh, just in the course of everyday life, to get wrapped up so uh, consumingly in our own lives, I to uh, begin to even perhaps believe my own press, spend my, own, my whole day is only thinking about things that relate to me. Right? My needs, my wants, my worries, my stresses, my concerns, all me, 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 and it, it's easy to see myself as the center of my own world and, and perhaps to wonder sometimes why other people don't spend as much time caring about me as I care about myself. Right? It's all about me. And there's nothing really like, like being up in the mountains to cure you of that. And to see the, the grandeur, simply the size, the magnificence of the created world, and to feel your own smallness. Or to even be out on the ocean, past the view of land in any direction, and to feel your own powerlessness, and to wonder, gosh, what if something happens? What do I do? Or even to be up in an airplane, just to see the world from that perspective and to have that vast view. To where you can't even see the people you can't even see the buildings the people are in because they're so tiny from so high up and agar says think of the wind think of the wind wind can be such a boring everyday thing we, we don't think about it but he says think about the reality that the wind here it is always blowing everywhere on earth the air is constantly moving who controls that Wind, in many ways, wind is what makes life possible. It moves water vapor over the earth to fall as rain and grow our food. Wind shapes life everywhere on the planet. It's the wind that makes some places hot and dry, other places hot and humid. It it makes life possible or not possible. Wind can destroy. We have only to think a couple weeks back of Hurricane Dorian. It was wind. It was wind, and yet it was a windstorm, this massive, massive windstorm. I I heard someone say it was larger than the state of Ohio, and to think about just the irreparable damage that was done, and to think, if you had been there, perhaps in the Bahamas, you would have known your just complete powerlessness to stop it. It's just wind, and yet there's nothing you can do except hide. Agra says, think of the wind. God holds the wind in his hand. He says, we need to learn the lesson of the wind. Lesson three, who has wrapped up the waters in a garment? Again, only God. Lesson four, who's established the ends of the earth? God. All these questions, four in a row here, that are designed to help us keep a sense of perspective and to keep us humble, right? to know who we are and yet who God is at the same time. God is infinitely glorious, God is beyond our comprehension. God is the one who is actively, day in and day out, uh, controlling, preserving, sustaining his creation in every aspect. Now, let's just pause here for a moment before we get to the last uh, question of verse 4. What's the point of these questions? what, What is Agur really trying to help us see? What is he helping us to learn with these questions? How does this make us wise? Because this is very different. A lot of Proverbs has been incredibly practical. It's very down-to-earth. It's engaging in in everyday situations that we recognize. And these questions are very different, rhetorical questions on this grand scale. What is God doing? Is God just flexing? He He just wants us to remember how small we are and how big he is and just do what he says. And some people think that's the answer to the book of Job. They hear Job has been suffering And he can't figure it out, and he's confused, and no one can help him. And God just comes in and flexes at the end, right? And says, Job, just see how big I am and how powerful. Is that the answer? Is that wisdom? I don't think so. I don't think so. Hagar is asking us here to think about the water and the wind. Why these things? Well, think of this. The water and the wind, these are, among other things, these are the elements of storms. Wind and water is what compose storms. And beyond that, these are things that are completely out of our control, right? that we have no uh, ability to control them. It's often very fearful. Again, the hurricanes that come, we have no power to stop them. Think of, her, think of Dorian. We didn't even have the power to really anticipate where it was going. Right, It, it became a joke of how, how changing all the different predict, projected paths of that hurricane were. Because we, we couldn't even tell where it was going. We're completely powerless and helpless in the face of these storms. But you know what the verse is saying? It's saying God's not powerless. These, these things that, that we are so afraid of, that we feel so helpless in the face of, it says God holds that in his hand. And I think what Agur wants us to do is, is, is simply to say, what are those things in your life which feel so completely out of your control. Those things that you feel powerless to change, right, you're just helpless in the face of it, maybe all you can do is just sit there, embrace yourself for impact, right? It's fearful. And Agur is saying to us, does God not hold those things in his hands as well? If if the wind and the water, these things that are so fundamental to, to life on earth, if God is sustaining those, if he's controlling them day in and day out, if it's his sovereign providence and his wisdom that sustains life on the entire planet altogether, is he not also holding those things which feel most out of control in your life? Think of the story that we read in Mark chapter 4. It's Jesus on the boat with his disciples. Uh, During the storm, most of us know this story very well. Uh, The storm is raging, the disciples are panicking, everything feels out of control, and Jesus is asleep in the back of the boat. And what do the disciples do? They go and they wake Jesus up with some kind of passive-aggressive comments about maybe his care for them. Uh, And Jesus gets up and and he just speaks a word and the storm quits. Everything is peaceful and everything is calm. And it says the disciples are filled with fear. The disciples in that moment are coming face-to-face with the power of God over nature, and it says they're filled with the fear of the Lord. And it's, it's just like Proverbs 30, right? The story, again, it ends with the fear. It ends with also another rhetorical question about God's authority over water and wind, right? Who is this? that Even the, the wind and the waves obey his voice? I almost wonder if, if Mark maybe had Proverbs 30 in mind when he wrote that. Because it's, a, it's this turning point in the gospel where Jesus is no longer, right, up till that point he's been a, a teacher, right, he's gathering the crowds, they're all amazed, they see his wisdom, you know, who is this with authority, you know, who teaches this way, uh, but we get to that story and you have to recognize that Jesus is no longer just a wise teacher. He's God, right, he, he has this divine authority over nature, right? it's one thing to be wise but this is something far greater than a good teacher, and don't we have to make that same recognition as we study the book of Proverbs that Proverbs is not you know, just a book of earthly wisdom designed to help us navigate the crises of life and say, okay, you get to the end and, and you know, you're more able to handle stressful things in your life and you know, you're better equipped and all of this. No. Proverbs is meant to lead us to God. It's meant to lead us to Christ. It's meant to, to help us trust him, to help us walk by faith, to acknowledge that God is a God not just of infinite wisdom, but he's a God who has care for his people, and right? who loves us. It's the same lesson the disciples uh, learned in the boat, and, and it's the same lesson that Agur is teaching us. Now, that gives us the, the question of humility. We've had the, the, the classroom here in verse 4 of humility. But finally, the source of humility... And there's one question left um, here in verse 4. The last question. What is his name and what is his son's name? What a question. What a question. Now, what is his name? That's easy, right? We know that. He's pointing us to the Lord himself. What is his son's name? Now, if we're honest, um, to his original readers, right, Agar was writing this hundreds of years before the birth of Christ. All of the commentaries say, this phrase its, it's just a figure of speech. Right? This is a way, he's basically saying, um, what is his name, do you even know who he is, do you even know the very first thing about him? What, right? What's his name and what's his son's name, do you know him, anything about him? It's, you know, it's just a very common question, most likely all the commentaries say, Agar's not, not throwing in a veiled reference to the second person of the Trinity in this question but for us reading Proverbs as Christian readers on this side of the cross knowing what we know now we actually don't we read this and we have to say Agar that's actually a really good question I'm I'm really glad you asked because I do know his name and I do know his son's name right his name is Jesus and as it turns out Agar Jesus is the linchpin of all godly wisdom Right? The book here, perhaps Agar is even writing a little better than he knew at that time, but it's leading us exactly where we need to go. Right? Because all true wisdom, all heavenly wisdom that comes down from above is a wisdom that begins with the love of God for you in Christ. Right? It's in knowing that, that this same God, who is sovereign over all of these things, the wind and the waves, who moves between heaven and earth, who has established the ends of the earth, This same God who is mighty in power with all sovereignty is the same God who also knows your name, who holds your hand, who loves you, gave his very own son to die for you. It's a God who is not only active in in power and might, but but he's a God who is holy and who cares about sin and righteousness and, and therefore is offended by our sin but who loves us. And gave his only son as an atoning sacrifice to pay the penalty for our sin. And here is both what I think of as the beginning and the end of wisdom. And this is the beginning of wisdom because there is no wisdom apart from the fear of the Lord. And we've said all along, the fear of the Lord is a gospel fear. But it's also, in some ways, this is the end of wisdom. I call this sermon the end of wisdom, not because we're in chapter 30 and that's close to the end. Uh, but be, this is the goal of wisdom. Right? The goal of all wisdom in the book of Proverbs is to bring us face-to-face with Christ. To lead us to him, to to, uh, to, to confront us with who Christ is. You see, some people, again, this is the earthly approach. Some people uh, read the book of Proverbs and they, they think of it like this. Um, Here's a book of wisdom. right? How convenient. Because if I just learn wisdom and if I become wise, then then I'll be completely self-sufficient. And I won't need anybody else. I I will seamlessly navigate the complexities of life in this world. Uh, In other words, they're seeking out wisdom in order to glorify themselves. They're lifting themselves up. They they want to be great. And they think wisdom is the path. Which is actually exactly the opposite of what Proverbs says. Proverbs says wisdom is the path to, to humbling yourself and giving all the glory to God. Proverbs is the path to uh, not become some sort of supreme being who understands all the unfathomable mysteries, but rather to the path, uh, Proverbs says wisdom is the path to knowing the one who holds the wind and the waves. It's the path to knowing the one who's established the ends of the earth and knowing that that is a God who is on our side. That is the God who is also our Heavenly Father. And so the wise person is not growing in. Pride and, and self sufficiency, but they're growing in humility. They're growing in dependence. In, they're growing in dependence, right? Knowing how dependent they are on the Lord. That's when you know you're growing in wisdom. That's why this is the end, this is the goal, this is the direction of wisdom. That's how we, we can kind of check our progress and say, Am I moving the right direction or do we need to course correct? The wise person is growing in, in humility. Again, this, this is James. The wisdom that is from above is first pure, peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace. That's the wisdom that comes from Christ, that leads us to Christ and grows us in our love for Christ. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the guidance of your spirit uh, who takes your word and applies it to the lives of believers. We pray that you would take these words and press them on our hearts that we might grow in heavenly wisdom, that we might grow in our love for Christ, that we might grow in our knowledge of him, our dependence on him, our ability to find peace and joy in him. Would you take your word, Father, and we ask that it will uh, bear fruit 30, 60, even 100 times that which has been sown. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.